What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Scott Lees, and I'm here with my good friend and partner and co-host, Richard Harris. And we are brought to you for the month of August by our good friends at Salesforce, Sales Cloud, as well as Vidyard. And we appreciate their support and making sure that Surf and Sales, the events, and the podcast go off without a hitch each and every month. And uh, check them out if you haven't done so already. And maybe you can boost your sales over the rest of the year, or at least get off to a good start in 2022. We are joined here today by Ms. Breezy Beaumont, Head of Growth and Marketing at Correlated. And Breezy and I have met and spoken once. Richard has never met or spoken to Breezy, I believe. So this is brand new territory for all of us. Welcome to the show, Breezy. Awesome. Thanks very much. So, and don't don't let the fact that you're head of growth and marketing scare you since we're really a sales podcast. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be Listen, that that title scares me because every time I see head of growth, I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? <laughs> I, was, I was expecting that one to come up. Yeah. And I think I think growth scares people the other direction more. Uh, it's kind of like a mixture of uh, of like marketing and and sales and product and customer success. Basically, it's it's touching all those different functions at a company and being super collaborative with all those different teams. That, okay, that's pretty much it, what growth is. Okay, but isn't that like what a CRO does? So how is head of growth different from a CRO? Yeah, I would actually say it's it's kind of on its way up to being a CRO. Ah, okay, okay. How do you, so when you, when you work to collaborate, which is always good to hear, <clears throat> how do you, what does that mean in the growth phase? And maybe, maybe, maybe even go back further. Like what does growth really mean? Like when you say, Hey, we're going to collaborate with all these teams and you know, it's good, but buzzwordy. Like, yeah. What, definitely. Like, what kind of things does someone in growth do? And yeah. I know a lot. Definitely. I mean, so I think a lot of things that are top of mind are thinking about your positioning, who your ideal person that you're going after is, what's your go-to-market strategy. And the only real way to understand how you should be positioning your company, how you should be talking to people, the exact folks that are really strong match for, for what your product is capable of doing is by collaborating with all these different teams. So if you're not sitting there and talking to your customers, you don't know what the pitfalls are or what you're amazing at doing or, you know, or what they're struggling with the most. And if you're not talking to prospects, then you're not hearing, you know, maybe where the pauses are, maybe what's not getting them uh, to sign on the dotted line. You're not hearing all those different pieces of it. And then on the marketing front, you know, I mean, if you just think of this kind of, I almost went backwards in that analogy, but if you think of it as the full life cycle of first people first hearing about you for the first time, then capturing that demand and converting them. So all of that is kind of on the marketing side of the house. And you want to make sure that the way that you're positioning your company and what the company can do matches up uh, with then once they start to have those conversations, now they get into the sales cycle. Now they're talking to the sales team. You want that to be consistent with, so everything you just marketed needs to be what the sales team can say now that we can actually do then when they become a customer, same idea. And so by collaborating with all those different teams and seeing where the pitfalls are and seeing where your strengths are and being able to collect, to, to talk to the different teams and tell them about kind of what's going on and, hey, you know, yes, we can help customer 
B, but if we're talking more with people who look like customer A, then it's going to be a stronger fit and an easier sale for us. So let's focus in that direction. Scott, I, I figured out the difference between the CRO and, and head of growth and marketing. The CRO <laughs> title came along because we as salespeople are very whiny about our titles. Yes. We needed a chief, we needed a C-level title, whereas marketing is smarter and more calm and takes a more measured approach. So they were like, no, let's just call it growth. So that's, that's you know, I think that's- Well, what that's, I, that's, a, that's nice. That's very nice, calm spin that you put on that. That would yeah. appease every marketer listening to the show, Richard. Well done. <laughs> yeah. both, both of them. Both yeah, marketers. all two marketers listen to the show. I want to know what collaboration tool, if any, uh, you like to use. Because every single tool that I've ever come across that's designed to increase collaboration and ease like workflow has made my life two to three times harder. And I, you know, at this point I'm like, can I just get a piece of paper and a pencil and, and we'll just talk. Yeah. So we use, it works. we use Slack. So basic, but just actually communicating on Slack and being a normal human and not forcing everyone to have a buttoned up Slack conversation where everything's capitalized and the right punctuation and just being like, and which it's kind of is like more like reflective of your company culture, I think. But being able to chat on, there, on Slack, connect with people, jump right into a quick video if you need to. I mean, that's the biggest collaboration is just being able to talk human to human. But we do also have things like us on us so we can track us across different uh, uh, a teams that way and collaborate across the teams. Um, we also have Gong, uh, which is so funny because twice now I've gotten on calls with uh, people on Gong's team and, and I'm a huge proponent of the product, but I've gotten on calls from a marketing perspective and said, hey, you know, I'd love to bring in Gong because I like to use it so that we can look, search in for different keywords of how prospects are talking about us and how we're talking about ourselves and see where the discrepancies are and see how we should you know shift our positioning. I would have never, never, never labeled Gong as collaboration tool. Yeah. <laughs> it is though, it is in that it way. Totally, it, it is. I just yeah. never never labeled it as that. It's crazy. Yeah. And every time I say that on a call with with someone from Gong, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, but you know what? Like two weeks ago, I saw that Gong is now they they you know they're very good at social media. All of them just started talking about the marketing use case for Gong out of nowhere. So apparently there was some traction for this. I just was ahead of the game. So they're probably training their sales team on it now. You know, take a you know take a, a cut of that. Yeah, I will. I'll reach out to Udi. Let him know. <laughs> so so give me an Asana hack because like. I, I can't stand Asana. If it was here, I'd pick it up and throw it out the window right now. But what am I doing wrong? What's one thing that Richard and I could do to properly use Asana to keep track of whatever we do with our work? Um, I one time pretty much left a job because of Asana. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, it was, language. A now you're now it, was, language. it was a competitor, actually. Oh, there we go. Sorry. It was uh, Trello. Um, but same idea. They're like, you know, they would hate if I, I said it. they're the same. I, I'm so glad you mentioned Trello because right now I'm about to throw it back at my clients from Australia who are forcing me to use it. Yep. So there's a, <laughs> there's a use case for it when it absolutely sucks uh, and ruins 
all productivity and ruins relationships and your your uh, ability to like the work that you're doing. Uh, but there's also a way to use it that's uh, that's effective. Um, the way to not do it is to create meaningless tasks, meaningless tasks that you can just check it off. And so you just have like this never ending Asana task list inside of each, you know, whatever they're called, subtasks inside of each task. And this is connected. Like people just overcomplicate it because, you know, <laughs> there's the people who like to like make a to-do list so you can check it off. And I get that feeling, but we don't need to make a to-do list so that we can check it off just so that we can add 15 minutes to every process that we're trying to do. Uh, so I think it's just using it like actually for key tasks and for places to collaborate on, like for a quick note or for a, actually like a key thing that you need to do to get a project done, not just every single task associated with a project just so you can you know, check the box. So, so basically what I'm hearing is if, if someone like me uses Asana where I would create every little task, that, that's a big indication of a micromanager. Yes, <laughs> I, should, I should I should interview and say, let me see your Asana because I want to yes. see how you're navigating tasks. Yes, and when you're mandating down uh, from a from a manager point of view, if I'm if I'm mandating down to my team that they have to sit here and check off every like, no one's going to be happy with that. No human thrives without autonomy and ability to have some level of control over the work that they're doing. They're they're not robots. If you wanted a robot, you should have you, you should have hired a robot instead. Are you are you listening to this, Richard? You're micromanaging me over here. <laughs> That's what she's saying. I, dude, I always micromanage you, and you push yeah. back, which is our balance. Yeah. So, yeah, Breezy, he just wants to go surfing. You can't blame him. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, Scott. Scott's yeah, motto yeah. is "work less, make more." So, yes, I, I feel like that, that should be everyone's motto. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Richard. No, believe me, I, I know my own pitfalls. Believe me, we, you, can, you can listen to on 260 episodes. We talked talked about it on 312 of them. So, um, talk to us a little bit about correlated, right? Give, you know, usually we kind of skipped over it, but give people some context of what correlated does, so that they, they understand, you know, where your frame of reference is coming from. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, correlated is a product-led revenue platform, which is a lot of fun uh, words mixed together there. But basically, you think of product-led companies, um, those companies who are sort of like self-serve or giving away their product for free, they're the most common companies that people are, are usually able to think of. So it's things like Zoom, Calendly, Slack, anywhere where you can kind of jump on the website, Snowflake, and just get started with the, the product instantly. And um, and so we're working with a lot of those types of companies and just other SaaS software companies. Uh, and what we're doing is we're tying together um, your, your product usage data. So how people are actually using and interacting with your product, which features are they trying, what buttons are they clicking on, things like that. And we're tying that together with all the other classic sales data that you would normally be looking at. So whatever's hosted in your CRM, like Salesforce or HubSpot. And so it's giving you this whole full picture view into not only the firmographic data, but how are users at that account or how are individual users actually using a product. Um, and so what this does is it helps to convert for companies who have uh, self-service or a free trial version of their platform. We're helping to convert those free users into paying users. Uh, but then for other companies who just have a large number of customers and they're trying to find where those expansion opportunities are within those customers, we're helping to point out those opportunities based on how people are actually using your product. 
So do you, so I, I spent some time in a little bit in this world um, many, many years ago. Um, are your clients more mobile apps because you're tracking that usage or are they actual platforms and measuring where and how people are using it? Because I, I see the use case for both. Like I've, I've seen and worked with companies where it's, they're just mobile only. How do you guys approach that? Yeah, we're generally working with other B2B uh, software platforms. Okay. Um, so we're on that side, yeah. Got it. But I mean, there's, there's obviously a use case on, on both, but we're sort of focused on the B2B side. Yeah. So how, does, how do you guys, if you, based on your own experience and, and people you work with, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, P, PLG means no real sales team. So how do you recognize when they actually need one, right? If particularly on the self-serve model or they're at that, you know, high uh, freemium model, you know, what have you guys seen? Is, is there a data point that you can point to? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think when people are in, are early in thinking about product like growth, they don't see a need for a sales team because their thought is, and this is a lot of founders thought is that I'll make a product that's so good that people are just going to want to use it. But it just doesn't work that way. Like even if you have the world's best product, it still just unfortunately doesn't work that way. You need to have some level. I, I mean, the, the best case scenario, in my opinion, is to have this self-service motion, but also to have your sales team there. So you need to actually be able to get in front of people. There's going to be key accounts that you want to get in front of. And if they're not finding your product, then you need to have that sales motion there. Also, some people don't want to purchase in a self-service fashion. Um, And so you want to have both arms there. Um, So if you look at companies who simply went with a product-led growth model and didn't introduce a sales team as well, um, you know, their growth is going to be diminished in comparison to the teams who have that sales motion on top of the product-led growth motion. I mean, I think the way the correlated fits into that is then enabling those sales teams with that product data takes it kind of to like the next level. Because I think one of the struggles with PLG companies who have sales teams is that the it's hard for them to reach out to folks because they don't have any context for those conversations. Um, they are just kind of blindly reaching out saying, you know, I hope you're enjoying our product. Can you jump on a call? And, and we, they try to find like an expansion opportunity that way. And that kind of sucks for both sides, right? Like the person using your product, they're actively using it. They have different features that mean more or less to them. Uh, and for your sales team, that data exists. They should be able to use it to do their job and to do their job well. Um, it also means that you could automate some of that that outreach. So for instance, um, you could suss out what are the key actions that people could be taking in your product. And those super key ones that you know are going to lead to an expansion opportunity, that's like a perfect pitch for your sales team to reach out to them and start having that conversation and saying, hey, you know, I saw you were using this feature. Here's another way that you could do it. Or I saw that you, you know, you invited five more users. Here's, um, you know, if you if you start to shift in this direction, here are different opportunities that your team could have by using our product in a different way, stuff like that. Um, and then if there's sort of like lower level actions, like people are just signing in more than usual or, or, or something that's sort of on a larger scale, because some of these companies have like 40,000 new users a month. Like some of them are, you know, the growth is insane. 
And so how's the sales team going to sift through that? So you can automate some of that outreach on the larger scale and then leave your sales team to follow up with like really the most important accounts or, or the most important users. That's, that's really interesting. How do you see the freemium model working? You know, you know, from everything I know, if you're going to have a, a self-serve model, it has to start as freemium, right? Um, and even as you grow, you know, you really want that freemium piece to just help. Is, am I on the right path there? Or am I missing misunderstanding something? I mean, I just think it depends on kind of the the industry and also kind of what you're able to pull off as a company. So some companies can launch and they can really have like that self-service motion from the beginning. And for other companies, correlated included, we're getting as close to self-service as we can today, but we're not quite fully self-service. Um, we are, you know, letting people get started in the product, but we're doing some handholding with onboarding to make sure that they're, that they're getting to value. Um, so I think one of the things to think about is what is the right stage for your company to have that self-service motion? And if you can do it from the beginning, amazing. Um, but, you know, it's not always possible. Sometimes you need some, some onboarding support in, in the earlier stages of your product. And I some think, the, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Some yeah. of the onboarding support, um, would you, would you include like, even though it's PLG, would you include like sales and marketing collateral in that kind of bucket of, of onboarding support or no? Um, it, it sort of just depends who kind of owns that at your company. So I think onboarding can be automated or it could be more handheld. So, I mean, either but you, way. But you own it right now, don't you? I own, I own a portion of it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not onboarding every customer, no. Like, there's, we have a head of product on our team who's who's doing, like, a lot of the onboarding for our customers. But, like, if we're going to kick off, like, a campaign so that once someone gets to, you know, a certain stage in our product and we're going to show them, you know, send them a couple email like, an email when they take a key action yeah. or set them off on a little email chain of how they can, uh, you know, keep converting and, and, and getting more out of the product. So whether that's like a video series or an email series or whatever that looks like, um, then yeah, the, then marketing might own it to sort of yeah. kick those things off. Is that, so the way you market and execute in a product-led growth company versus a sales-led growth, or I don't know what you call it. Is that even a thing? Sales-led growth, standard, whatever you call it. Um, product-led revenue. Oh, oh, like you mean a traditional company. No, I see sales like sales like versus traditional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, got so it. Are you do you think about marketing completely differently depending on what type of company um you're at then? So in PLG companies is, is sort of interesting. I think one of the big things you want to focus on is actually um and, and this is I think maybe goes back a little bit to my growth role, but one of the big pieces of a PLG product is uh, virality. And so it's sort of built, some piece of marketing is actually built into how the product works. So if you think of like Zoom, for me to have a Zoom conversation with one of you, I the other person is going to also have to jump on Zoom for it to work. Yeah. So there's that level of virality there. Same with Slack. I'm going to have to talk to you. We can talk that way. Calendly, you don't even have to sign up, but I'm going to share my link with you. And so now you're going to see the product. And so there's some level of marketing built into the virality effect of these PLG companies. Um, but as far as like how you should actually market a company, I don't I mean, it can change based on like an industry um, on like the execution of marketing. Um, 
for instance, like I think you should always be where your buyers are. So if you're going after sales or marketing buyers, those people might be on LinkedIn. If you are maybe in the healthcare space, your your ideal person might actually be in something like a Facebook group or something like that. If you're going after an engineer, they may be on Reddit. So the 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 path and execution on how you do marketing may differ slightly on like the platforms and things that you're using to get in front of folks. Um, but I think the fundamentals of it are are the same. Your job is to to get in front of people, to educate them, to be a helpful, useful resource, and to to show what the strengths of what your product can do is. Mar- marketing has avoided being the bad guy once again, Richard. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I mean, PLG becomes all the rage, and everybody throws it in the face of salespeople. <laughs> oh, we don't need you, fucking salespeople. And if you're a marketer, you're just like, ah, I just have to do it a little bit differently. No big deal. This is, I'm sitting here listening to this and I'm like, oh, this is kind of what Qualia did, right? Yeah. You had a great product. Yep. It required two people to use it. Yep. Network right. effects. She, right. she said virality. We used to say network effect. Right. There you go. So, um, yep. so it, it's interesting. So you've, you've actually been the beneficiary of this. I have. I just, you know, it's Monday and I'm grouchy. So. Should have done this on a Wednesday. Well, to be fair, I'd probably be more grouchy on Wednesdays. So, um, <laughs> what's uh, what's the hardest part for you of, of being the, the first exec in at a startup, and and why do people like you and I choose to do this to ourselves? I don't know. There's something addicting about it, isn't there? But it is so much work. Sure it's is. insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've been early at companies before, and I started to sort of move up to a little bit larger companies along the way. Um, and uh, I don't know. You get that you get that itch again, and I jump right back into a tiny startup. But I mean, it's it's a blast. It's so much fun. You really get to see the the true effects of your work. Um, and uh, there's no. Uh, hiding behind the curtain because you're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong. And either way, there's full visibility. Is that, that. is that the hardest part you think that you just can't, you know, kind of hang out and hide out? <laughs> I think for other people that would be, yeah, that would probably be the hardest part. I've never been a hangout and hideout kind of person. I, <laughs> I uh, will work my butt off and wherever I am and make sure that the company is seeing results out of that. But um but yeah, if you're if you're the kind of person who wants to sit back and you know just do your job and and not stretch a little further than that, then startups might not be the best place for you. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that um, that that um, I have the challenge of always wanting to be right early on, and then when I find out I'm wrong, I I get upset at myself, and people don't like me anymore. So Scott's seen that with me. Um, I, I am curious, you know. Your relationship, you talked a lot about, you know, cross-functional and communication and collaboration with the other teams. Um, I'm curious, uh, when you have worked with sales leaders and sales teams, because you're using data better, do you find them buying into you, your suggestions more? Because, you know, sometimes we're just like, no, I don't believe you. I mean, even even when we're presented with data, we want to go against the grain. Um I'm curious what your experience has been like. Yeah, like one of the biggest topics is always this marketing and sales alignment. I have never had a problem aligning with the sales team. Um, I've constantly just been in really close contact with sales and 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 never has that been a struggle for me. 
you know, I think there's two different ways that marketing and sales teams communicate, but maybe I'm really just a, a salesperson at heart because I have, <laughs> or maybe it's that Boston side of me coming out where it's just really direct and straightforward. And uh, the, the, the sales teams uh, usually take well to that. Um, but I do think that data is, is a really good way to back that up too. So I think one piece of it is your communication method, knowing that it's going to be a little bit like from, from a marketer's perspective, Going from talking to other marketers to talking to the sales team, it's going to be a little bit more like intense and direct and straightforward of a conversation. Um, so there's like this, that, you know, how you communicate piece. But then the other side of that is, yeah, I come to the, I come to the table, not just with data, like, oh, this is how I think we should do it. I come to the table with, hey, I just ran this. These are the results. These are how many leads we have that came in. Here's where they've converted so far in the pipeline. And here's what the amount of revenue that we have in the pipeline from it. Let's have a conversation about how we can take this to the next level or like how I can support you more, or how your team could be, you know, following up with these folks in, in a different matter based on how we're running different campaigns to different audiences or, you know, so I don't know. I think it's a mix of like being super direct and having that conversation in a slightly different way. Um, but then bringing that data to the table and it's not a hypothesis. It's like, Hey, I already ran this on a small scale. Here's what we have. I'm just like slide this across the table to you. Wouldn't you like to see more of it? And it's like, yeah, yeah you know, what um, I'm, I'm curious because I know Scott's answer to this. Uh, and then I want to shift topics, but how soon after you get there, do you hire a marketing ops person or do you feel like that is your role? <laughs> no, you need a marketing or, sale, or sales ops or any sort of ops role um, pretty early. I mean, right now we are we are handling it. We do have like an internal ops person. So at least we've been able to take off like the hiring ops and those, those sorts of things off our plate. Um, but uh, yeah. We, we have a team who is pretty technologically advanced, so we're getting away with it. But I would say within the next six months, even, we're probably going to be hiring an ops person. What do you feel is the difference between a sales ops and a marketing ops? Or do you feel like they really are the same? It just depends on which team they report to. I honestly think that they should live more in the middle. But for some reason, like there's always this kind of divide between the two. Um, I think if, if you just market as revenue ops and can have it live between sales and marketing, and you can build a team under that because that would be a lot for yeah. one person to handle at any size of company. But I think that's going to be the best way to do it because then you're building for the exact same things, which you should be. So like whatever you're building in the way that what data is moving where for the marketing team should be the same way that the sales team is working so that you're both using the same source of truth and you have the same uh, streamlined processes and everything should, it, it should really line up. So if you want to split them to sales ops and marketing ops, fine, but those people need to be able to collaborate. Otherwise, in my opinion, you should just have a revenue operations person. You know, who's across you know why, you know why it happens that way though, right? <laughs> What's it's your a, take on it? It's a battle. It's a battle for resources. <laughs> yeah and, i think and and hold on hold on let me yeah, yeah go ahead go let ahead. me say my mildly controversial opinion all right um, there's a head of cs there's a head of sales and there's a head of marketing which one of those three do you think fights harder to get an operations headcount resource i know that sales will get their way anytime yeah. sales <laughs> is always the one so here's what happens so richard is the vp of sales 
he works his ass off to get an ops resource. That ops resource starts crushing it for him. Now, all of a sudden, marketing and CS are like, I need a resource. And the founder is like, well, that's fucking expensive. Just borrow Richard's. And Richard's like, what the hell? I just worked my ass off to have this resource. And now it's splitting time between sales, CS, and marketing. Yeah. That's well, what happened. The dumping ground for all the reports that nobody wants to do. Yes. Particularly C-level. Like it, separate of marketing yes. and customer success, it just becomes the dumping ground of here. You know, you can make this report come out in 20 seconds. You know. this, is, this, is, this, is, this is the way. This is what happens. Every time. You've been warned. You've been warned. I've, 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 yeah, I've seen. It. Well, okay. Here's, here's the thing that, like, I think there's what's happening today, and I think if we look forward to the future, it's there's just so much that's about to shift, in my opinion. So, as you go with like these product-led companies, so first of all, almost a, a shit ton of the new. I should probably shouldn't swear on your podcast. A lot hey, of the you swear all the time, <laughs> whatever you want. A lot of the companies that are starting today are starting with this PLG motion, right? And then a bunch of the existing SaaS companies are moving towards being more product-led. The thing about product-led companies is that customer success, sales, and marketing, and debatably also product, all start to converge. And it gets really confusing as to who owns. And then just throw growth in the, to the thing, and nobody knows what we're talking about anymore. And all of these roles are starting to converge. It's like in a PLG company, should CS and sales be the same thing? Some of them are calling their sales team CS teams instead. And so, yeah. And so, uh, you know, if you look forward to how all of those things are are moving and shaking and how much the teams are going to end up crossing over, are we going to create new separate roles for them? Or are we going to start to converge these teams? I think the way operations will work, will kind of follow suit with that in that they'll sort of be the central house for for all those teams. That's my take on it. But is that the case today? No. But I think that's where we're headed. I don't disagree with that at all. I agree. Yeah, I, I think so. Let, let's shift a little bit. You're part of a couple of micro communities. <laughs> a couple uh, is an understatement. How many? How many? How many, how many are you <laughs> part of? No, I, I'm probably part of like uh, of active ones, yeah, I would say it's closer to a couple, but of, of communities in general, probably like 10 or more communities. That, so how do you choose which couple to be a part of, to participate? Ooh, because the bandwidth questions. is, you know, stretched. Yeah. I mean, they all just have different uh, different people participating and just a different way of communicating. So um, Thursday night sales. You jump on the call. It's pretty informal. They're swearing on the call. Uh, and uh, it's like a great way to just sort of like, I, I don't know. It's a more relaxed setting to kind of sit back and have a conversation there and listen and kind of just like listen in. When you get into something like Pavilion and you're looking at like the Slack community uh, in Pavilion, which is the new name for Revenue Collective, um, it's definitely more buttoned up, right? You know, you got to be a lot more thoughtful about it every response that you have and you know they're they're using correct grammar and <laughs> capitals and punctuation very, so very ivy a, league richard very ivy league 
Yeah, so there's a ton of value there, but you also, it's just a totally different way of communicating. You jump into something like Rev Genius, again, you get more informal again, but you also get, a, you get, you know, you get some really strong conversations and then some that you're like, okay, this person doesn't know what they're talking about, but they are not going to stop talking about it. So <laughs> I hope not too many people are listening. Um, and then, uh, but like, it's a huge community. So it's like a great place to talk to, to folks and have like a really active conversation, get a lot of opinions. Um, and then there's a couple others that are like a little bit more niche. So like I'm, I'm in women in revenue. So it's, it's a smaller one, but like, a small community but like highly supportive of folks and and they're actually not talking that much like on slack or anything like that but they're they're just sort of like supportive of each other and career in general so each one just is so different like they're really i i don't have two like i think pavilion and rev genius are maybe the closest but i still see them as like night and day um so i i don't know i just find each one like you know very different from the next so it's not like I'm doing the same thing eight times over. It's actually vastly different experience in each one. God. What do you think about brands being involved in these things, right? Like right now they're, the micro communities are focused very heavily on, um, you know, the individual, right? Cause that's, that's what we are craving. And it, you know, it really ballooned last year in 2020. Now the question becomes, you know, can bigger brands, be a part of these things aside from, you know, we've done some stuff on sponsorships for our community and things like that, which are helpful, but, you know, can a brand do it, right? Is it not should they? part of product-led growth, but yeah. marketing? <laughs> um, I think it's uh, a struggle because a lot of, a, a lot of brands are going to just want to throw money at a problem. That's why companies like, ads and other things like they don't want to do it correctly they just want to throw money at it um and so if they're simply just doing that the value coming back out isn't going to be as strong for them so i think the hardest part is that is companies realizing that not only are they gonna for some of them need to pay to play but they also need to play like they actually need to be participating and being active in the community I think what's been interesting is that a trend I've been seeing over the last six months is that a lot of these communities are actually moving away from paid sponsorships and not because they don't want to work with brands. It's actually kind of like the opposite. They're now allowing brands, companies to work with them, uh, but they're not having them pay because the most important part for them is just engagement. So instead they're becoming like sort of like community moderators for these for these communities and helping to keep conversations active and going and helping to think, think of topics to talk about. Um, and I think that's just a reflection of it's difficult to build a community and it's difficult to build an active community that people are getting a ton of value out of. And so then making that shift, um, it's, it's interesting to see. Um, I think everyone, every community is struggling with knowing how to work with brands and how to work with them in the most effective way. Scott, you want to address that? Because you don't have that problem. I don't have which problem. <laughs> getting, getting the brands to, to, you know, participate the right way. But you also, your brand, your Thursday night sales group was one of the first. So I think that that, you know, in a different way. Well, I mean, I, I think it's actually 
almost a mandatory thing for certain PLG companies to basically parachute into communities and become not just a name associated with it, but an active participant and member. And in a sense, what Breezy was talking about in terms of being the community, um, I think moderator maybe was the word that, I can't remember the word she used, but you had to. I mean, look, you bring you bring a, a PLG company like Dooley, for example, that has free trials all over the place. Chili Piper, same one, <clears throat> same concept. Vidyard, same concept. You get involved with the Slack community like Red Genius or uh, Thursday Night Sales. There's thousands of people in there. Thousands that you can give away your product to and who are going to like test it out when they come to certain events and they hear about it and they, you know, see the free sign up link or they're uh, sort of motivated to do it, compelled to do it through, through some fun offer or, you know, correlated comes and like, I hear about the company for the first time. I meet Breezy, but she like keeps coming back. She adds, you know, thoughtful things to the Slack community and on, on Thursday night sales. We have sponsors come in and like sit in the third chair you know, they, we rotate the, the seats. So it's like, people get to know them. And like, sometimes people just sign up because they're like, I know Breezy, this company must be like, cool. And bang, 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 you're getting a bunch of signups. So I, I don't know why people and brands don't go more all in on this. I think they don't know what to do yet, frankly. And I think not that I'm doing everything or anything the right way, but, um, I think I'm at least doing something the right way with the way that we've got things, <clears throat> things built and it's set up for mutual, uh, mutual success there. So, yeah. I think, I think companies are also afraid of things that they can't get direct attribution for. So unless yeah. you have like, well, they because they're still locked into this old way of thinking that everything yeah. has to be, have an attribution number. I just saw Kyle Lacey from Lessonly slash Seismic <clears throat> just say that they took 30% of his budget and decided to do it on all sorts of things that they weren't even going to look at attribution whatsoever. And it was just yep. brand based. Yep. Yeah. And then just look at what, look at bottom of the funnel metrics or look at revenue. If you're depend on how long your sales cycle is, just find whatever metric you can, that, that represents something that's of value, whether that's like a sales qualified lead, sales accepted lead, or actually just like a close one deal yeah, and measure or, on that time frame over time frame. Yeah. And you could attribute, um, hiring and growth yeah yep. i can't even tell you how many people have gone to work at some of these companies that come through the community yeah it's it's interesting too because i also think it's these are the compounding interest effects that people can't grasp right whether it's the hiring piece or the branding piece or you know the giveaway stuff so it's it's interesting and i also think too to your point breezy uh aside from attribution it, there's there's a fear of control right mm -hmm. there's a fear of how does this reflect on us i can't tell you how many times people have turned us down for so much money because scott has this ugly really big beard so, no just kidding that's never happened actually uh, um so they're, they're, i don't know they try to say that i don't look ivy league that's true i don't get it right right so i do all head so yeah, but um, we got to we get we get to sort of get to the end, and, and you know we want to ask you what what question you have for us. But before we do that, just a quick shout out to uh, Vidyard and Salesforce uh, for supporting us uh, all this month and for the last many many months uh, on the podcast and the events. 
uh, which is coming up in November. So we're super excited for that. So, but Breezy, you know, what question would you like to ask us? Yeah, I'm curious where, where you see sales fitting into product-led companies. Oh, uh, right after uh, they've decided that they don't need us and then change their mind and recognize they actually do need us. That's where, that's where we come and fit in. We, we wait for them to hit 911 and say, hey, we've gotten this far. Right. But now we're kind of stalled out. And it turns out that the people we have trying to convert free trials don't know how to fucking sell. And so our conversions are trash. So maybe we should look at like our approach and the DNA of the people doing those conversions to improve upon that. It's that moment. Where that is in the revenue funnel, it completely depends on, you know, how good the product is and all that kind of stuff. But it's that, it's that exact moment that, uh-oh, we do need them. That's where, that's where we come back. That's, that's when we're wanted, Richard. That's when we I, become I think wanted. that's part of it. I also think it, it comes to that point of, okay, when you realize that, um, I can tell you some mistakes that are made when they do this too, but it's kind of like, oh, we ran out of friends and family. Right? Oh yeah. The founder's 5 million. Right. The founder. Yeah, exactly. Not even, it's more like, you know, they think they get to a half million or 750,000 in ARR and they think they found product market fit yeah. and um, they're, they, they're close, but they're not hundred percent there. And then the CEO doesn't know that you can't scale them, that they, 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 fail to realize that they that people are buying them as the founder, not even the product, right? Not even as much as they want to believe it's the product. It's like, no, they're buying you because it's your baby and they know they have your cell phone number. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's it. You know, it's, it's a little bit like lead singer syndrome, right? Um, which, which, you know, I've been reading about from some autobiographies that they all admit they have it and that all causes bands to break up and then they all apologize. That's when they come in, Scott, right after they go through their first lead singer syndrome scenario. Um, the, the challenge with that though is they give you 90 to 180 days and then they wanna blame you in sales. When in fact, you know, uh, there's, there's problems with the product, they can't hit a release date, they keep delaying, you can't get any marketing air cover, all these other things where they think sales is just a turnkey and that we're a commodity that could be easily replaced with the next person, um, which in fact we can, but that next person comes in and says the same thing we've said, but since they're tired of arguing with us, they'll believe the other person before, you know, they'll believe the second person, not the first person. That sound right, Scott? Like, sounds, sounds right. That sounds, sounds absolutely right. So, but uh, do you have a do you have a tag? She looks like she has a tag on question or statement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking like this is the exact same. Okay, marketers and salespeople. You you built up the 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 idea that there's tension there, but I mean we have way more in common than you think. That's when you want to come in as a as the marketer as well. When the the team's like, oh, we can early stages. Oh, we can do marketing on our own. Marketing's easy and. And then they try to do it themselves. And then 
they realized that it took a bunch of time and none of the things they did worked. And they're just sitting there like fumbling around. And that's when you want to come in and say, okay, great. Yeah. The, the good thing about someone failing at trying to do what you're about to do before you come in too, is that then they just give you the keys. They're like, Hey, you know what? I'll put my trust in you for a period of time, but you're right, Richard. Then they do kind of come back and say, Hey, 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 you know, they, they, they don't show me the, the money. Keys. Trust me. You know what, you know what key we get? We get the valet key. <laughs> we let you go from here to the parking lot. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get like the real key to the car. Trust me. Oh, that's good. So, I think, uh, Richard, we have to name this episode the Founders 5 Million. That, yeah, that's by the way, my what favorite. founder gets it to 5 million? But I have yet to see. Is that really? Well, I kind of, I feel like that just kind of makes the title that much better. Yeah. Because it's like inflated, you know? So. <laughs> So we'll see. So. It's marketing. It's marketing fluff. It's shiny. Yeah, they inflated it a little bit. Yeah, breezy. This was this was awesome. Uh, I had a lot of fun. You're you're a good sport, and uh, appreciate you spending some time with us. And hope you and correlated continue to thrive. And uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, breezy.